Hello, this is uh, the Superior Podcast. I'm Father Samuel Schneider from the Diocese of Superior, thus a Superior Priest, but right now I'm in Yokosuka, Japan. I'm grateful to be here today with Megan Meekin? McMeekin, sorry. McMeekin. Oh, I'm sorry. The Coordinator for Religious Education here in Yokosuka. Uh, we're so grateful to have her, and so we're just going to have a conversation about Holy Days of Obligation and the Feast Day of the Assumption of Mary. Well, and also, what brings you to Yokosuka? Did you just land in Yokosuka because of uh, the superior priests needed to show up here? (laughs) I, uh, yes, I am very grateful for the Diocese of Superior um, putting me on loan, giving me on loan to the military, to the Archdiocese for the military services. And so this is my first assignment in the Navy. It's uh, very similar to a parish, but I get to do lots of Navy things, mainly administration. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. The, uh, when you have tied yourself up with two bureaucracies, you are you are tying yourself up with lots of admin. Yes, you do. So I'm, lear- I'm learning a lot. I'm learning yeah. a lot. And I, I also continue to learn as a pastor more things about um, kind of the way that the church operates and even Holy Days of Obligation and things as I continue to learn. And even if I've learned it, sometimes I forget and have to learn again. So I'm grateful to dive in here today. Absolutely. So we're coming up on the Feast of the Assumption of Mary right. into Heaven. Yeah, and always August 15th. Always August 15th. It is not a movable feast. Right. It is a fixed mm-hmm. feast. Yeah. So celebrated in many Catholic cultures all over the world, and, yes. and a lot of them having, I've lived in Italy, so a yeah. huge holiday in Italy. Yeah, and they One actually of, have a holiday, kind it is. of like we have Columbus Day. It's a Feder, it's kind of a, a oh, they're off holiday. for about ten days around <laughs> around it. It's called Fedagosto in Italian, yeah. and uh, they take a lot yeah. of time off. We always had a huge plumbing issue every year during that time, during that time and nobody yeah. would fix it. Uh, we would usually get a patch, and then we'd have to wait about three weeks. Yeah. But it was good. Perfect. Perfect. So um, this year, the fifteenth falls on a Monday, yeah. and. So normally the Assumption is a holy day of obligation for us Catholics. Right. But Uh, the United States Council of Catholic Bishops has done some things with some of the days of obligation. We do it a little bit different. So it's Mm -hmm. funny. I mean, I I think uh, there's uh, eight non-Sunday holy days of obligation. I always get that mixed up. But they often land on Sunday or different things. And so actually we have very few because uh, what the USCCB has basically done is if it lands on a... I think maybe even a Friday. Even a Friday, Even a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. Correct. Basically, the obligation is assumed into Sunday. And part of the reason for that is that we're not a Catholic culture, and so we don't have days off, and so these holy days of obligation are intended to be holy days of celebration in some ways, like uh, a feast day, and we're actually supposed to abstain from work like a Sunday, from servile work. But... Because we're not a Catholic culture, because we uh, don't uh, live in that, um, it's a little bit more difficult to abstain from survival work because it's a normal work day, mm-hmm. as well as to make it a mass. And it's also more difficult to a certain degree. I, I'm appreciative of this because uh, it's really difficult to have full Sunday mass uh, masses and then the next day have you know a full Sunday mass on Monday, You know, have three or four masses, or similarly, the opposite way, have extra masses on Friday and Saturday and then the weekend masses, which is the way that it goes. And so the USCCB, the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops in the U.S., have dispensed or kind of assumed that Holy Day of Obligation into Sunday. 
for better or for worse, it's partly just to have pity on the priests as well as uh, on the people to try to make it not as uh, burdensome. So, of course, Sunday is always a day of obligation Correct. for us. It's always, always a, a day, day of obligation. obligation. Yeah. So when that obligation is moved to a Sunday. What obligation are we actually satisfying on Sunday? Are we, we satisfying yeah. the obligation yeah. of the holy day of obligation or are right. we satisfying our Sunday obligation or does it matter? It 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 um the Sunday assumes the holy day of obligation. Mm-hmm. So we satisfy both on Sunday, which doesn't always happen. We've had a few times where the Holy Day of Obligation is actually, there are a few few days such as Christmas, which even if it lands on a Saturday, we still have the Holy Day of Obligation, and then you can't double up. So then you need to go to Mass on Friday or Saturday in order to get, uh, to fulfill the Holy Day of Obligation for Christmas, and then you have to attend again on Sunday. So even though that the Saturday evening Mass, the Saturday evening Mass can count for either, but it can't count for both. But in this case, uh, the obligation is kind of assumed by the Sunday. And so it really kind of falls away and the assumption is just uh, um, to take place on the Sunday. It more falls away than being assumed by Sunday in a lot of ways. I mean, it's nice to say that it's assumed so that we're not getting rid of it. But I mean, it's essentially just being swallowed up by Sunday. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, it is a little <laughs> bit sad because uh, we don't celebrate in the same way because it, we're kind of like, well, it's right. not a holy day of obligation, so our schedules aren't going to be different. You know, part of the idea of the holy day of obligation and kind of having those masses is that our day is supposed to be different. We are supposed to not uh, treat work like normal or maybe celebrate a little bit more. We go to mass to be able to pray, you know, to be able to be reminded of these great feast days. And when we don't have that holy day of obligation, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, like, it just goes off the radar. <laughs> it does. And it is it is an unfortunate aspect of it. I mean, it frees us from having to go to church two days in a row. Right. But, right. I mean, there are some people who don't regard it as having to right. go to church two right. days in a row. Yeah. But it, um, it diminishes it in some way it that does. it does not have the same gravitas as it yeah. would normally have. Which is part of the, yeah, that's kind of the craziness of the liturgical calendar because Sundays uh, uh, take over a lot of feast days. So we always have yeah. certain feast days, and this happened uh, a few weeks ago where it was St. Ignatius of Loyola's feast day on Sunday. Well, it's still his feast day, but you don't celebrate it liturgically or anything right. uh, because Sunday trumps. And so, and that's kind of the idea of, the specialty of it happening when it does happen. Right. You know? Um, so on Sunday, for instance, yeah. so Sunday, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's the 19th Sunday it's of more, Ordinary Time. It's Ordinary Time, yeah. It's just Ordinary Time. <laughs> it's one of the Sundays. Yeah. And so it yeah. is, I believe, the 19th Sunday. And um, looking at that... Yeah, the prayers won't have anything to do with the Assumption of Mary. Is there any option for you to add any kind of there's not Marian prayer in to observe the yeah. feast of the assumption not from a liturgical sense in terms of the the prayers that i need to pray for the mass are for ordinary time and they need to remain that way however there are certain aspects that are a little bit more flexible such as the the songs that we sing and so the song should be appropriate for the season um 
And Marian hymns are always appropriate, I think. So I, I think we're going to try to have a Marian hymn either at the beginning or the end, or maybe both. Um, we're hoping to do something with Marian statue, which is always a good time to do a procession. So uh, we're going to try to do something like that. And so those type of, not the, the heart of the Mass is going to be for ordinary time. But the fringe aspects, because we're, uh, fringe maybe isn't the best word, but those things that we have a little bit more flexibility on, we're going right. to flex to be able to acknowledge that it is the Assumption of Mary to remind people and hopefully get people to think about Monday. Yeah. Also, my mistake, it's the 20th Sunday okay. of Ordinary Time. Easy day. This Sunday. So. All right. Not, not the worst mistake I'll yeah, probably exactly. make today. Uh, it's, it's all good. So, um, this is just one of the Marian holidays we yeah. celebrate. There are a lot. There are a lot of Marian holidays. Yeah, there are a lot. We just f- celebrated uh, the um, Saint Ma- the Basilica of mm-hmm. St. Mary Major, which is the dedication, the dedication of that basilica, but it really is a Marian feast day. And so we have Marian feast days all the time. And um, I think a good way of explaining it is that Mary, uh, her merit and saintliness is more than all the other saints combined. So it kind of makes sense that we have almost, you know, as many, uh, and there's even more Marian feast days than liturgically that we celebrate, you know, in the calendar right now. There are plenty more. And so I think it makes sense just because Mary is so important. Um, there's a lot of theology behind that. In fact, the early church, I mean, a huge amount of where these feast days come from and why kind of the church at the beginning uh, started to have this kind of fascination with Mary, not only because she's awesome, but also because a huge amount of implications of her tell us about Jesus Christ. And so uh, the Council of Ephesus and a huge amount of these early discussions about who Jesus was uh, tied Mary in. And so the early church was very much meditating about Mary and with Mary about kind of the teachings of the church. And so very early, you know, bef- um, we had devotion to other saints, but they all paled in comparison to Mary in terms of the bigger discussion as a mm-hmm. whole uh, from the very beginning. And so I think that just continues to uh, feed itself. Also, there's just this beautiful, you know, scriptural understanding of Mary being placed as our mother. And so like, we want to honor our mother. We want to honor our mother and father. And so there's just this, I think, beautiful uh, adoption that kind of takes place in our, our desire to honor her and to also at times, you know, ask her intercession. So uh, we honor right. her in lots of ways. Yeah. And um, I, for me, anyway, I, I think a lot of it is also the acknowledgement of the humanity of Jesus Christ as well as the divinity of Jesus yeah. Christ as well. Yeah. And that is yeah. impossible without Mary. Right. Right. Exactly. And without having Mary in yeah. the equation. And that's exactly the discussions that happened right away from the beginning, right. which implicated Mary is, wait, was he really a son of Mary? Like, was was that actually part of Jesus's, you know, reality? And yeah, it was. Yeah. And so it's like, and, and this is one of the cool things is like, if you could choose your mother, you know, and you had all the women throughout all the ages to choose, God chose Mary. Right. You know, like, and so there's just this, again, this beautiful implication of, of just so much about Mary and about Jesus in that all. Do you have a favorite feast day about Mary? 
or I would say I really this is just also tied up with um, the whole season yeah. is December 8th is okay. a good one okay um, that's Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception, yeah, which is the uh, patronal feast day of the United States. So the United States has a, it, that's kind of our patron. Yeah. It's Immaculate Conception. And um, it, it took me longer than I would like to admit to realize that that was Mary's conception, was yeah, the Immaculate yeah, Conception. Yeah. Not Jesus's. Not Jesus's. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It was Mary's. Yeah, yeah. And, but it is such a, a lovely idea of her being conceived and from the very beginning having just being totally full of grace yeah. and having no sin and no stain and just being this. And as I've gotten older and developed more into my faith, this idea of kind of the redemption of Eve too right? yeah. is what we see within yeah. Mary. Yeah, we see uh, St. Paul very closely linking uh, Christ with Adam and the early church fathers mm-hmm. from the very beginning linked Mary with Eve and just tied that in of the fulfillment of the prophecies. Right. Um, yeah, and so it's this beautiful redemption of, yeah. of Eve's fall and, and, and Mary's triumph. Yes, and then not to bring it back to Italy again, but yeah. also... It is such a glorious time in Italy as well. It is the beginning of all of the Christmas season and moving into this beautiful welcoming of Jesus Christ. And it's, you know, that her her actual conception kind of kicks off this really joyous time of getting ready to also welcome Christ into the world, I think really speaks a lot about her and the timing of her conception so that's mine how about you do you have a favorite you know one? as i asked you i started to think about mine and uh, the one that keeps on coming to mind is our lady of guadalupe mm. I, I just i just uh yeah i mean mary's got a lot of awesome titles i love her title refuge of sinners uh you know i just uh love that she's been a huge help for me just at times when when uh I've had difficulties with God, you know, to just be able to go to Mary is like this impartial third party who just loves you. <laughs> it's been uh, really beautiful. Um, and But Our Lady of Guadalupe is just, I think, a phenomenal story, and I just love her um, evangelization. I mean, she's just the mother of evangelization there. and Patron Saint of the Americas. Patron Saint of the Americas, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think there's just so much good that surrounds that. I, I'm not a... I, I got to visit Our Lady of Guadalupe, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I'm not as big at visiting the, the places or, or necessarily pilgrimages, that's just not, um, and it's not a strong part of my spirituality, mm-hmm. but uh, this story always resonates with me. I always love, you know, uh, just seeing the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, so, um, yeah, so that probably is. Yeah. yeah, you speaking about that also made me think of, um, actually, I really also like undoer of knots mm, yeah. um just pope, pope francis uh popularized it did you know about our lady undoer of knots before pope francis probably not yeah. yeah i i doubt it but just the yeah. the image of it yeah. just is a beautiful it's a, good, it's a beautiful image of just being able to think of her taking that long list of problems we hold in our our head and in our heart yeah. And being able to unravel that for us yeah. in 
um, in a really lovely way that really can free us from a lot of worry. It's a beautiful image, and I think it's a good place to be able to pray from, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a really, really good place. Um, awesome. Well, uh, to this feast day is the Assumption, which right. uh, is really confusing because we have the Ascension and we have the Assumption, and certain people make assumptions about the Assumption. And terrible. Just, and that was just terrible. Really it's it was. terrible. It was. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, if we're going to talk about the Assumption, yeah. is the Assumption something that is explicitly talked about in the Bible? Because I don't remember yeah. reading about it in the Bible. Yeah, there's nothing uh, explicit in Scripture that says Mary was assumed into heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of the reasons why we have the church to help us uh, unpack kind of public revelations. So there are certain things that um, Scripture is one of those things that is public revelation that can't be contradicted by church teaching. But we also have other things of public revelation, which are the implications of Scripture. And this was something that was kind of believed, you know, a lot of church teaching doesn't come from, it's not a place of fiat, of kind of creating, but Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, developing, uh, listening, uh, a lot of the proclamations about certain dogmas or doctrines of the church come from a place of saying, well, for the last 2,000 years, this hasn't been explicitly taught, but it's always been believed and kind of taught as something there. And so we see this with multiple saints as well as uh, Marian feast days that we actually see in the early church actually some liturgical prayers in the 4th century about uh, Mary's... Um, Dormition and Assumption. So Dormition is a whole nother thing uh, that's tied up within. So let me just uh, finish this point before before we kind of go into that. But what that says is that finding some liturgical prayers about it in the fourth century means that it was held as a belief that was worthy to bring into the church's belief, as well as something that was probably practiced for a while at that point. So we don't have anything explicit within scripture, but we have some certain scriptural point, um, scripture passages, which can Mm -hmm. point to uh, the Immaculate Conception. And from the Immaculate Conception, there's kind of an implication of because she was without sin, she also, even though she was born into a world of sin, and so she, there's a lot of debate, like some of these things aren't um, defined yet. So did she suffer? One of the questions is whether she suffered any of the consequences of sin, even though that she didn't sin, but because she lived in a world of sin. And two of those being uh, death, as well as childbirth, the pain of childbirth. And so there are some theologians who hold to the fact that Mary, there was no pain in her childbirth. And there's some theologians who hold to the fact that she died and then was assumed, or she, dormition, she fell asleep, and then she was assumed. So uh, this is actually kind of a difference between the East and the West. So we have this Eastern Church and the Western Church, and actually we see this belief um, a little bit uh, older in the Eastern Church of a dormition of Mary. And so it's that she falls asleep. She never really dies. Mm. She falls asleep and then is is assumed into heaven. Whereas in the e in the West, we've had more of a tradition that she died, was buried, and then was assumed into heaven. A kind of more similar to the resurrection of Jesus, as opposed to the um, preservation of sin 
and so preserved from death of kind of the East. And so when the all, all well, which one is it? Uh, we don't know. Actually, right. when uh, St. Uh, Pius XII um, declared, the, he proclaimed, defined to be a dogma that Mary was assumed into heaven, he left open whether she died or fell asleep. He mm-hmm. did not define about that because that was something that was still he saw as uh, not clearly defined. But what was always held in both traditions is that Mary was assumed into heaven, body and soul. Body and soul. Okay, I'm. I cannot remember the word for body and soul. It being there isn't there a specific uh, word for it being together, and it starts with an E. And I'm taking. Well, I was going to say D. Go. I don't know. Oh don't yeah, know we what, don't need yeah, to go there. Okay, then we okay. just expose. So our the human ignorance. person, the human, the human person, person is body, body and soul. And soul. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Now, when you're talking about the Eastern and Western churches, are you talking about the division of the Byzantine Rite and the Latin Rite? Yeah, so we see in what, what was it, in the 1000, 1051? Yeah, about that. The, yeah. There's a, a, a split, a, a clear split between the East and the West right. Church, which there's actually a separation from Rome. But we see even before that, there's a very there's a there's a strong difference between the Roman Latin Church and the Eastern churches, which is Greece and uh, the Byzantine, the right. uh, Russian, and so we see this kind of separation in spirituality mm-hmm. uh, kind of take place. And so when I talk about Eastern, there are many Eastern churches which are reconciled with Rome. Right. There's some that aren't, but they still have a very similar. In fact, they basically have the same liturgy and the same spirituality. There's just a few theological points that they reconciled with Rome about. And so, uh, yeah, I think that kind of answers the question. Yeah, I, I yeah. was just wondering. I was just wondering if we were, yeah. how we were so, defining those yeah. two things. Yeah, the West, that was my, and, my curiosity. Yeah, yeah. mostly uh, Western Europe and, and, and Rome. And what's interesting, again, kind of in their concern and everything else, the West is incredibly... Uh, concerned about logic and clarity and defining and justification and the east is much more like yeah you know <laughs> whatever uh we're good which is part of the reason why the east even though that there's a lot of splits they're not splits on doctrinal it's often just splits on i don't like you anymore and and different things like more more kind of that whereas the west we've you know the protestant reformation came from a place in the west of very much concerned about justification very much about cutting down the the thin line of what's the distinction between mm-hmm. this whereas in the east they're just like who cares yeah yeah we don't you know um yeah and so that's as well with the dormition they're like who cares you know like yeah she fell asleep and, and rose like do we know the exact details who cares you know she uh, she was assumed, so yeah, that's all yeah, we care about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas the we're the West, we're much more concerned about. Well, did she actually die? Did she not? What's the theological implications? How does this how does this play out for us? It, it, you know, much more kind of down a rabbit hole with logic and. Uh, and to take us off on a complete yeah. tangent, real quick, yeah. but that relates to this kind of in the Latin right of the church, yeah. and. Um, I was reading up on chasubles today. Yeah. Don't ask me why. It just yeah. happened, and. <clears throat> that they had, there was like a whole upset in the church, like in 1920 to about 1935, yeah. about chasuble styles. Yeah. And I was like, is that really what we need to be focusing on? Yeah. yeah. What kind of chasuble we're wearing? 
Well, and there's there's an aspect of the there way is that an we aspect pray, the way that we pray yes. affects what we believe. And so, but also, does the Pope have to actually write like huge <laughs> documents about chasuble styles? Yeah. Well, and, if he didn't screw it up so bad, he wouldn't have to. Well, perhaps that is yeah. the issue. Yeah. Perhaps. Perhaps. That's funny. Actually, I don't know about that big <clears throat> controversy. So often, oh well, you know, I, I will. What, what was the big What was the big debate about? Oh, it was about. Um, Either fiddleback yeah. style yeah. or the Gothic style yeah. or the Roman style. Okay. Now, uh, and Roman it, and fiddleback are very similar. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, then a concern because actually the Roman and fid- fiddleback styles, which are now seen as a more typically Tra- kind of yeah. traditional, yeah. were the modern <laughs> ones at the time. Right. And the Gothic chasuble, which is actually very close to what we really are more used to seeing these yeah. days, yeah. was considered to be way retro mm-hmm. and trying to bring back a time in the church that was not, um, that people didn't want to see again. Oh, okay. And so... So people were trying to bring back the So the old news style. is new news, yeah. as it always is in the church and any organization that is around for hundreds of yeah. years. And these same things and ideas and concerns seem That's to recycle right. often. That's right. I think I had heard about that at one point. I didn't yeah. realize it was so recent as the 1930s. It is. It yeah. was. Less than 100 years ago. Yeah. 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 Awesome. And, um, awesome. yep. Whole, I mean, it wasn't ex cathedra, but it was like oh, it was it a was, sure people like hey, stop yeah. messing around with this. This yeah. is what we're going to do. Let's have conformity. Yes, which is always a concern of the church because sometimes when we get so off the rails, and that's actually what Pope Pope Francis is doing to a degree right now as well, although in a more in a bigger way than just chasubles. And so we see this, but then we see this interesting kind of beautiful diversity with Western and Eastern. Uh, liturgies because the Latin church wants a certain amount of conformity, but then the Eastern churches were like, I don't know, do whatever. You know, yeah. the Eastern churches have multiple different liturgies. Oh, there's, they have multiple there are books. some they like banana stuff very, that goes yeah, on that different. you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily always recognize, yeah. Yeah. but um, has also has a lot of interest and beauty and some. Oh, for sure. And it is just fascinating yeah. to see. And I think it actually teaches us a lot as well. Uh, one of my primary things for one summer in the Institute for Priestly Formation was uh, the wellspring of worship. And it was a Latin priest who was formed in the Eastern tradition mm. and trying to bring the Eastern tradition of the Holy Spirit into the into the West, which we, you know, we've got the Holy Spirit, but we just don't. So, there, so there's a beautiful that that should be again of this forming and you know kind of uh, again uh, a complementarity to just grow into a greater understanding of who we are. Sometimes in contrast, and sometimes in unity, and sometimes challenging us in ways that uh, otherwise we haven't had. So, there the two lungs of the church is sometimes what it said. Now we experience almost exclusively Latin church in we the do. West, and so we don't really know what that means, but. Uh, you know, the uh, popes have talked about it as the two lungs. Yeah, and I I would also say, though, even within the Latin rite, we can experience a great deal of diversity yeah. depending on the celebrant, yeah. the yeah. Um, the makeup of the parish, yeah. and Absolutely. that is something that we should really take also, advantage of yeah. and understand and find and see the beauty in that. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah. it's it's a gift of Catholicism. It's, to it's us. always a challenge of conformity versus <clears throat> uh, uh, 
diversity, and, and, but not getting too crazy so that you, you actually know what you're doing. You're actually all, you know, and so this is this, this constant battle and I was, that goes on. I was yeah. recently at a mass where the priest did not do a homily, and I was like, wait, oh, what's right. happening right now? <laughs> uh, but a homily is not required for mass, right. especially a daily mass. Especially a daily mass. And so I was like, oh, okay. I mean, it's his choice, but <clears throat> that's weird. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. Yeah, I appreciate you know again. Yeah, in that. Okay, so we're talking about the east and the west because the Dormition versus the Assumption. We are, what's and focused. we should come back yeah. to Assumption. And um, do you have a particular way you like to celebrate Assumption? Is there some sort of particular devotion you think is good for Assumption? I don't. Uh, I don't have a particular one. I, you know, as I think about it right now, I mean, one of the implications of the assumption is just the importance of the body and soul, mm-hmm. that we're not disembodied, you know, that the body isn't really something that's uh, bad, and it's something that ultimately in the end we're going to be united with in heaven. We believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe in the goodness. And so I think there's no better way to kind of celebrate that. And I think Catholics are pretty good at this, uh, sometimes too good, but to enjoy something physically, you know, like uh, such as, you know, a good dessert, you know. So uh, doing that, and again, it should be not just to enjoy dessert to um, commit gluttony or, you uh, uh, you know, which isn't a good thing, but to be able to really make it a prayer and to be able to say, wow, God actually wants me to enjoy this. Now, he wants me mm-hmm. to enjoy it properly, uh, which is at times also fasting, uh, but in feast days to be able to meditate, you can actually meditate on the assumption and the goodness of the human body and soul and kind of consolation, uh, hopefully having a good dessert, not too much, but but having something. And then also hopefully go into some prayer as well, right? Uh, of course, the rosary is always a great uh, prayer, especially for Mary. Um, and so, you know, the Glorious Mysteries, which has the assumptions in mm-hmm. it. And in fact, in certain feast days like that, uh, even if you just pray a decade, or even if you uh, sometimes you can meditate the entire rosary on one mystery so one of the beautiful things about a devotion is that it's not as kind of there's not as many laws or kind of restrictions in some ways Mm -hmm. so we have the mysteries we have you know uh tuesdays normally the sorrowful mysteries but again if there's something happening you can change it up the monday's normally the joyful mysteries but it totally makes sense on the feast of the assumption to pray the glorious or even that you just meditate on the mystery of the assumption during the, that rosary. So um, that's, I think, you know, that way you get the body and soul, you know, kind of going right. on there. Yeah. So I'm going to just share this quote from Pope Benedict that mm-hmm. I really, I found, and I, I just really like it. Um, he said, yeah. by contemplating Mary in heavenly glory, we understand that the earth is not the definitive homeland for us either. And I think that really sums up a lot of the beauty yeah. of Mary and what we should think about on yeah. the assumption. Yeah, Mary's this first fruits. Mm-hmm. So just as when we look at Jesus and we talk about the resurrection, um, we kind of say, okay, well, Jesus rose from the dead, and so now we can rise from the dead. But I don't know. I always have a little bit of doubt there because I'm like, well, he was, <laughs> he was the son of God. You know, he was, he was fully human, but he was also fully divine. Like, do we really get that? You know, is, is that really happening? Right. And Mary is this beautiful, um, fully human not divine. Now she is preserved from sin. So there's a little bit of, uh, kind of lack of identification, although that, um, 
on that, but but we see someone who's fully human, not divine, mm-hmm. who's who's assumed in heaven, body and soul with God. And so she's the first fruits again of of basically showing us the path, showing us the way of of what we're called to, uh, what God has in store for us. And that just, again, is a beautiful meditation, again, for ourselves, the implication of what Christ has for us, the love that he has for us, um, and his desire desire for us. So, um, one, so, so, sorry, going back, completely back, because I think this okay. is really important. Uh, right. Why do we have the Feast Day of the Assumption? There's no biblical. One of the other th- things that I think is uh, a really good reason to believe in the assumption of mary is that we have relics of all sorts of things from the first century you know we have people who say this is the shroud of turin right this Mm -hmm. is the cross we very clearly see even in scripture the keeping of holy bones Mm -hmm. and that right away that does something good we see mary in uh in very much a motherly role. She's given to St. John, you know, and given to be his mother, and he's to take care of her as well. And so we know that Mary is this, uh, again, just this huge figure. Even though that she's quiet, she's always pondering, she's always in the background, she's certainly not forgotten in the early church, even though that she's not out front. And so we know that she was, you know, just, again, this this monumental figure uh, in it all. And no one claims to have the bones of Mary. And so there's just uh, this kind of idea that if she would have, uh, again, if, if she would have died, um, the relics would have certainly been kept, and, mm. and they're not. Um, but kind of to add to the confusion, there's like three places where they, they people say that she died. Um, some people say in Ephesus, in Jerusalem, there's two different places. One is the Eastern tradition of the Dormition. The other one is the, um, the Assumption, uh, where there's actually a tomb where the idea was is that she died. And then Thomas was, of course, late again. And so he came, <laughs> he came late and he's like, oh, I wasn't here for you know, the funeral right. for Mary's death. And so I want to see her. I want to say goodbye. And so they open up the tomb and the tomb was empty. Um, mm. And so there seems like there's this early, early at least stories and tradition about this. And so again, if there were some bones or a burial place or a place to be able to go, there would have been a pilgrimage from the very beginning, which we see mm-hmm. with Peter uh, happening from the very beginning uh, in Rome, as well as others who are. So I think there's, again, that is I think a really good solid historical reasoning. And then we see other writings, the liturgy, the you know, the, the church enter into the liturgical prayers and the Holy Spirit just continues to confirm with the Immaculate Conception. And then in 1950, Pope Pius XII finally declares it as a dogma to believe, although we certainly believed it much before that. But now we, it's, uh, it's ex cathedra. And so there's, there's much more authority of right. kind of that teaching. So. Ex cathedra, of course, meaning from, from the, the chair. chair. Yeah, which so. was... Yeah, it's a whole thing in itself. It, it is. Because We're not really going to talk okay, about it. About I just well, wanted to translate yeah, it for yeah, people good, who good. might not know what yeah. it meant. Awesome. Uh, yeah, any other kind of thoughts about it? Or? I think that might be pretty much it right now. We talked about it a bit. Right. We talked about it a bit. I think people are probably... Good, not hearing our voices anymore. Yeah, yeah. well, hopefully we'll get to do this again. I uh, appreciate it, and uh, and hopefully just give an opportunity to, again, talk a little bit more. You know that I like to talk. You know that I... Uh, 
you know, would love to be able to say more at masses and other things. And so this is hopefully an, an avenue where people who want to listen to me more and, and um, listen to conversation can, uh, can do so. Absolutely. So I was wondering if you would like to close with what I know is your favorite Marian yeah. prayer, the yeah. Memorare. The Memorare. That'd be awesome. That'd yeah. be awesome. Well, why don't we say that? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, a virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.